and welcome back to the Faith Awakens podcast. This is Father Tom Hennon, your local, friendly uh, college chaplain here at St. Ambrose University, and joined as I am each week for this podcast uh, by my co-host and student. Uh, Megan Grady, your friendly uh, PCM. Uh, I can use that title again, because yeah. it's a fair For those but, who aren't yeah. in the know, that stands for Peer Campus Minister. Oh, the lingo. Yeah. yeah. Got it. But, you yeah, have a lot of alphabet soup in the church, and especially, you know, in any institution. But, yeah, pure campus minister. Great. And we are joined this week on our podcast by Dr. Ella Johnson, who teaches in the theology department here at St. Ambrose University. And so, Dr. Ella, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to be on. I've been listening in the past... I think four or five episodes, and it's been really exciting. So it's great to be on. Um, I am about ready to start my third year teaching at St. Ambrose. Um, I grew up in New Windsor, Illinois. I don't know if either one of you are familiar with it, but it's around 30 miles from here. I went to the Elwood Elwood High School um, and uh Went to ended up going to get my PhD in theology in Toronto, Canada, and uh, lived there for about 14 years, actually. And I taught in upstate New York theology for eight years in a school that trained uh, permanent deacon candidates and lay ecclesial ministers for the Catholic Church. And then um, job opening came up at Ambrose, and my sister is actually a graduate from Ambrose, mm-hmm. and I had heard so many good things about it because I grew up around here that um, it was a great opportunity to um, think about moving close to where my family is, yeah. My um, and uh, loved, really, really loved the school and the emphasis on social justice, so moved my family here from Canada uh, about two years ago now, uh, to take the job, and really happy. So, well, we're very glad that you are here, and and you're still doing some stuff with the deacon formation uh, program here in the diocese. I know too, which I have a, a little bit of a hand in as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, good, good. Well, welcome to the, our podcast, and and. Uh, great always to have a fan on the show, not just uh, <laughs> not just a guest, but someone who's actually been listening to the show, listening to the podcast. So welcome. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that. Uh, go ahead, Megan. We joke about our fans a lot, but they're they're actually real. This is proof that we do have fans, Father Tom. That's right. We joke about having them, but I still don't have they, a good sense of how many there are out there. But you know, numbers aren't everything. You know, right? Quality no. over quantity. Yeah. That's right. We have devoted fans of some number. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, one of the reasons uh, we wanted to have you on the show today is that with everything that we have been experiencing as uh, a, a planet, really, and then especially here in the United States, and, you know, personally in the last several months, it does feel like the world kind of got tipped upside down, you know, and shaken up pretty good. And so um, I know in talking with Megan and other students, they're feeling that. I know our faculty and staff are feeling that way. I know I am personally feeling that way. And so there's a lot to kind of process. And I want kind of a theological angle on that. And, I, you know, I've, I've been 
stewing on that myself a little bit in my ministry, um, but uh, to especially get the insight of one of our theology professors here about, you know, what do, what do we make of this, and, and what, do we, what do we do with this, and how do we grow through this? So, um, mm-hmm. by all means, Dr. Johnson, let us, let us know your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I, I think that a lot of people think that religion, theology— is only about an individual and God. So mm-hmm. kind of like a vertical thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's me and God. If I'm right with God, everything's cool. And from what I use as a Catholic theologian, my tools for um, doing theology or scripture and uh, our tradition and our Catholic social tradition. And both of those things teach that nothing is farther from the truth than that our faith is individual. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's love thy neighbor as thyself. And um, Matthew 25 is all about Jesus saying, you know, this is how I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep is whatever you did to the least of my people, you did to me, you know, and we're very, very, um, it's a very social, very corporate religion Christianity mm-hmm. is. And so I think that I think that theology has something to say always about big, important social issues. And our tradition, you know, shows us that it always has, too. So we've had popes write encyclicals, um, you know, uh, about the Cold War or about the ecological crisis, or recent pope did, you know. Our bishops are writing letters against racism right now. Um, so we have we have a lot of resources and something to say about what's going on. And um, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, both all of these things that are going on, um, the attention on racial justice, the COVID pandemic, and if you wear a mask or not, it's all political. It's either a Republican or a Democrat thing, and when I see religion get all tied up in that, it's really frustrating to yeah. me because it's that's not, I mean, religion does get political, but religion, um, I view these issues first through theology, through the Bible and, and tradition, which teaches us, you know, that everybody has dignity. Um, we need to we need to act according to that principle and that we need to uphold the the poorest of the poor. Um, so in the Catholic social teaching tradition, we call that the preferential option of the poor. Mm-hmm. So we, we, that's who Jesus put first. That's who we're supposed to put first. And so it's the, uh, it's people of color, especially indigenous and black people in our society. It's, the um, the elderly, the differently abled, the poor, uh, economically poor, the immunosuppressed right now, you know, and that we, if it means that those of us who aren't uh, poor in those ways have to sacrifice for them, then we do. You know, it's not, oh, I'm a Democrat or a Republican, so I wear a mask or I don't. Yeah. It's that I'm taking care of um I'm taking care of those who are vulnerable, even if I might just get the sniffles if I catch the virus, you know, that I don't want to spread this pandemic. And so I wear a mask, you know. And so for me, it's it's just been frustrating to see this whole mask thing and social distancing thing get so political. 
um, and Christians are on both sides, right? People who profess yeah. themselves as Christians. And I don't think it's really about that at all when it comes to religion. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, I like that, um, that reminder and that imagery of the kind of the, the two dimensions, the, the vertical dimension, certainly that relationship with God, which is um, so important. But then, yeah, there's a horizontal dimension to this too. And I think the, the image that kind of, helps me with that is the cross, right? You know, and, and, and that being kind of uh, having both a, a clearly vertical and a horizontal dimension uh, to it as a reminder uh, in itself to us that um, this this thing we have with God <laughs> is not an exclusive thing and it's not an individual thing, but meant to be um, expressed and uh, in, in a communal way, which has been hard also during this whole COVID thing, you know. <laughs> right, um, right. But then not just, you know, expressed liturgically or in terms of worship, but that kind of liturgy of life, you know, or I like to use that expression a lot. You know, we we pray what we believe, we believe what we pray, and we live what we pray and believe. You know, this idea that somehow this has got to get very real. Um, uh, It can't remain abstract. Um, And... Right. There's a temptation, I'm sure, in theology, as there is in any field, for it to remain abstract. Oh, these are just interesting theological ideas for us to kind of ruminate on or, you know, or get into the kind of this history of theology. But it's still meaningful right. now, you know, and will always be, yeah. you know. So. Yeah, and it's it can't be more concrete, I don't think, yeah. um, than what our religion teaches us about, you know, everybody's made in the image and likeness of God. And so we're revering God in taking care of every single human we come in contact with. And so that's religion, too, you know. Um, that's uh, Some theologians like to talk about God is not so much a noun as a verb. It's mm. our, our love that when we take care of each other, when we love each other, that that's where God is found. And so, yeah, it's very, it's very abstract. It's very, it's very concrete. So, Megan, where do you kind of, as a student, pull these ideas together a little bit? You're obviously a peer campus minister. You're someone who's been very involved in campus ministry the last, you know, three years. Are you a theology minor? Yeah. I'm okay. A so, yeah. And and a future teacher of America. So I'm kind of curious from a student perspective, uh, what you make sense of of pulling these things together in terms of how to express theology, you know, in in your life as a student and beyond. Yeah, I think, um, and it's funny because when I say I'm a theology minor, people, it's the same as when I say I'm a history major, people just assume I know, like, everything about history and theology, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, oh. no. <laughs> or, um, but I think it's just because I have a passion for both of those. I like to say that's why I'm um, majoring and minoring. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to um, – to live in the age of social media where everyone's posting their opinions about everything um, hurtful, a lot of hurtful stuff. Facebook, I have to not go on anymore, especially because I see a lot of my, my parents' friends um, posting things that are just ugly and just, and, and I see them in church, you know, um, or at least I used to, our church hasn't opened up yet, but 
I, you know, I stand next to these people in church and I say, we all say um, the, our father in unison. And it's just, it's kind of sad to see them posting these hateful things, um, whether it be um, against the Black Lives, My, uh, Black Lives Matter movement or, um, you know, uh, getting all up in arms about um, having to wear a mask uh, and not really showing compassion for others. Um, so when everything's put out there like that, I think it's hard not to uh, to start uh, consuming it and thinking about it all the time, uh, mm-hmm. especially because I feel like uh, at least when I was younger, you know, I was, I didn't get a I didn't get a phone until I was like an eighth grade or freshman in high school, so I, I I could ignore what other people were saying because I didn't hear um, what they truly believed, and I could just ignore that side of them. But I think, uh, and maybe it's for the better through social media and all this constant stream of uh, information. Uh, it's kind of good because then you you see who who really cares and who is going to stand by you and fight for um, the this justice, these social justice issues, and uh, uh, who's going to protect one another. So I don't know if that made any sense, but yeah. that's just kind yeah. of. Um, especially coming from, I, I guess think it I was just... a, uh, I don't remember, if, I think it may have been a GK Chesterton saying, but he said, you know, um, if it wasn't him, maybe it was James Joyce. I can't, it was one of those two, but he, I think now that I think about it, I think it was James Joyce who said about the Catholic church, here comes everybody like, you know, <laughs> and, and you do see yeah. that, like you're talking about the people that are sitting in your pews and, um, and, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a beauty to that in a sense, but there's also that kind of ugly side of, oh, can't we get together on these things at least, you know? Um, yeah. And in some ways, you know, when you talk about the social media, I almost feel like it, it um, this tool that is, and I'm not going to rail on social media, I mean, I think it is a good tool and can be used very beautifully, but this thing that was invented to draw people together actually allows us to kind of keep each other at arm's length. So that we can say kind of things that we would never normally say in person in a room together, you know, and so in that way it kind of uh, it cuts conversation short rather than enabling it sometimes. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a, for sure, and I think that um, especially for the Black Lives Matter movement and for white people, um, it's easy just to put something out on social media and not see who your audience is and kind of not give it a second thought. It takes a lot more work to really put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see if, if you're Christian and profess the dignity of the human person and to see the God in others. And um, that was a really pivotal moment for me kind of getting involved in racial justice was being able to see to, to have some empathy with um, to have a deeper level of empathy than I had before with people of color. So, and I, it, it touches on something that I think Fritz said in one of uh, when you, when you both interviewed him about that's when change comes is when you can see yourself in the other person. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I kind of started getting involved with racial justice work, I was, it was the summer of 2013 and I was at 
uh, something I would call like a theology professor camp. <laughs> so <laughs> it was through the uh, Wabash Center of Teaching Theology and Religion. And and it was like uh, 13 or 14 uh, colleagues from around the country. And we just spent like three weeks together thinking about teaching theology and pedagogy and all that. And it was the summer that um, Trayvon Martin's killer, George Zimmerman, was acquitted. And we were all together, and about half of my colleagues were black. And um, a couple of them were mothers of black children. And I was in the adoption process that summer. So I was waiting for a child and starting to have kind of motherly feelings in my own heart and seeing the mothers of the, um, seeing the black women who had black sons just grieve over that and feeling like I'm going to be a mother too and thinking of Trayvon Martin's mother was really the most pivotal thing for me in becoming a lot more active in racial justice and educating myself and trying to incorporate that into my syllabi and um thinking about it in terms of my Christianity and values and something I want to think about every day. So I, I really, um, I think that's part of, I think that's part of the work we need to do. I mean, I'm a professor, so obviously I think reading and talking about these things are great, but some of it has to happen on a heart level and um, social media can maybe put up a wall between some of that sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. There's a theological concept that I think, of course, is central, you know, to to a lot of this, and that is just the notion of the incarnation, you know, when you talk about especially kind of um, being able to understand the other and, and seeing God in the other, like you say, and, you know, from the Christian perspective, we, we, we believe in a God who became one of us, who was incarnate, you know, and certainly yeah. grew up in his humanity in a certain culture and at a certain time and with its own biases and, and things like that as well. But the, 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 the greater point being that God identifies God's self with humanity in, in, in a right. profound way in the incarnation. And, and so in the same way, you know, I think every Christian is called to that kind of incarnational thinking in that, um, and this is like when I was in school here as a student, I enjoyed doing theater, and part of it was because it allowed you to put on the mind of somebody else for a little yeah. while. It was a good yeah. exercise in getting out of your own head and thinking as a particular character might. And and uh, on a more kind of social level, recently, I think uh, like this experience that you talk about, um, you, you had to kind of put on the mind of these mothers and realize what that experience was like. That was very incarnational, you know, that was. Right. Yeah. um, And I, the, with this wave of um, exposed police brutality with um, George Floyd, you know, crying out to his mother um, and saying mama, you know, when he was being killed. And um, I, there was an there's an artist named Kelly Lattimore who did an icon of uh, Mary uh, 
and Jesus, Mary holding Jesus crucified, uh, and they're both black, and Jesus looks very much like George Floyd, and it's called Mama. And I have it hanging. I'm at home now, but I have it hanging in my office or at school. Um, but it invites us to do that kind of work, you know. Yeah. And as a white person, I can never empathize, empathize or I can never understand the day-to-day um, microaggressions and discrimination that comes with um, being a person of color in this country. But, you know, those sorts of things, I think, invite us to consider that if we want to profess ourselves as being Christian, then we have a lot of work to do. Um, We have to see Jesus and his sufferings in uh, black indigenous people of color right now in this country. So, and you make a good point. I mean, the fact that we can't completely understand doesn't mean that we don't want to understand more and that we, yeah, you know, and, and, and we strive to do that. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. There's been so many amazing resources out there too. That's been a gift of social media, I think, is all these syllabi and well, our our DEI office is doing this great summer of action thing. Yep. Reading yeah. and um, YouTube videos yeah. and articles and books and yeah. all sorts. Of, there's no shortage, that's for sure, of good material out yeah. there. To, yeah. So I just read some of our um, faculty, some of my friends at, uh, who are profs and staff at Ambrose are reading um, Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. Mm-hmm. And, and I just got my daughter, he wrote a, a children's book called Anti-Racist Baby, which is oh, great. Cool. So... So, yeah, so we have that, too. But um, we've been, a, a group of us have been reading that this summer. And you read that, too, right, Megan, you said? I, yeah, yeah, because I think uh, Dr. Powell is, like, uh, leading that or helping do that. And yeah, she said there was, yeah, she's in that, yeah. Like a faculty book club. I was like, oh, man, because we had just finished it when, like, you guys were starting. So I was like, dang it, we could have been, I could have been in the faculty book club, but that probably wouldn't have <laughs> Yeah. <been. laughs> talk with a bunch of professors that would be so fun but yeah um that book is so good I love that it's um like kind of part memoir part history book and he kind of intertwines it uh together uh with his life and then the history um but yeah I really want to get um a copy of his like children's book though that you talked about because I think that sounds so cool just for myself I I don't have He is so great in making the point that you can't really be neutral on race. You're either anti-racist or racist, and which that's a pretty controversial statement to say. But his his parents were um, into the Black Liberation Theology movement, so when um, Black writers started doing theology from the lens of their experience of um, of being black in in America and kind of and, and really seeing Jesus as liberating them from their suffering in the here and now and and in the afterworld as well and so it's he has kind of a theological tie in there too I think but but reading him just really um, made an impact on me that I had always kind of thought about my anti-racist work that I had prided myself on, I guess, after my 2013 kind of experience at professor camp, 
of, um, you know, doing pedagogy and doing my work in the classroom and teaching about racial justice from a theological perspective and everything. And he really makes the point that um, policy has to change too. You know, that if you think that way, then, then you're ascribing to the idea that, um, that racism is just an individual thing and it's individual acts of just people like KKK members or, you know, whatever, and not seeing it as a system and that we really need systemic change to happen. You know, we need, we need police reform clearly. So that I, you know, I can teach the stuff in my classroom, but that's not going to help the people driving down the street tomorrow, you know, so we need both. And so I've been thinking, I've just been really pushed this summer and all of these readings and the DEI syllabus and all of that. It, I don't know if it's the spirit or whatever that's prompting me, but this is kind of the next step I think I need to take is um, teaching policy and um, thinking more about that in my own life as well. So, yeah. That's a really good point and something I've been kind of thinking a lot about lately too in my own kind of processing of all of this in the last few months and and I feel in some ways um as a as a priest obviously I am in a kind of privileged position to be able to address some of these things and need to be and should be um and at the same time thinking of you know Megan's parish where you got uh you have the whole spectrum there you know in terms of politics and things like that and needing to you know challenge, certainly where people need to be challenged, but also not wanting to challenge in such a way that I drive them away, you know. Um, And also, you know, the Church is always interested in politics and will never be fully removed from the political square because politics has to do with people, and we happen to care a lot about people. So at the same time, trying very carefully not to be partisan, you know, and, and, Uh and all of that. And feeling even kind of politically disenfranchised myself as a as a Catholic and as a priest in, in many ways and not feeling like any one party right now is, is uh, you know, uh, really capturing it all well. But I think what I've been kind of coming to myself is that we do have this great treasure trove of Catholic social teaching, which is about the issues which gets to be about policy on certain things that we can talk about and say, these are ideals that we hold to. And this is the kind of thing that we need to be seeing happen and realize through the political process. Um, and, and so there is a way to be, um, I won't say apolitical, um, but at least nonpartisan about it. Um, right. But and some of it is just having the conversations and being, I think, bold enough to do that. But I, I am still kind of sorting through, honestly. Like, okay, I'm feeling this now. What do I do with this, God? You know, uh, where, where are you? Yeah. What, where are you leading me to do? I part of me some days, and I've talked about this on the podcast too. Some some days, I'm, I just kind of feel like I I feel like sometimes I can't be anything but part of the problem, <laughs> and I want to get out. You know, like I'll go hide in my hole and let the world sort it out. You know. And then there are other days when I just, you know, you don't want to be, you want to be out there and, and doing everything you can. And, you know, so it's, it's that tug, tug and pull, I guess, of, of, you know, the heart. Um, but. Yeah. And the work at anti-racist work is, is hard and it's humbling and it's uh, being open to change and correction all the time, you know, from 
the little I've done and um, admitting it's uh, too little, too late and all of that. But just keep going, you know, because it needs to be done. That's kind of what I've found. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think as a student, Megan, like one of the things I know we're talking about in campus ministry is uh, what, do, what do we do when students return? And obviously our, our office uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion will be working on this, is working on it, is going to be, you know, and there will be programming to the degree that we can have in-person programming and virtual stuff happening. But I'm thinking specifically from a campus ministry perspective, you know, what is uh, what does this look like in terms of how we address this? What might you think of doing in uh, the residence halls as a peer campus minister? What would you like to see mm-hmm. campus ministry hosting or or events that we could do to raise people's awareness or draw them more into this conversation? Yeah, um, it's definitely going to be a difference, um, is for lack of a stronger word, um, coming back. I've been trying, uh, we've been having meetings of the peer campus ministers, and we've been trying to, like, figure out ways we could meet, but also stay uh, socially distant. Um, I'm a very visual person. I'm, like, a very visual learner, so I like to see um, things. So, like, um, I really love when uh, uh, they, people host, like, uh, movie movie nights, um, I think they showed, I, I couldn't make it to it, but I think um, the BSU hosted a showing of Harriet, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I think that could maybe be possible. Um, maybe we could set up a screen on the lawn somewhere and um, <laughs> hope that people don't mingle together. That's going to be uh, hard, I think, across the board. But um, I just think something like that and, like, I I really love hearing people's stories um, because I think people can connect to real people more than they can if we were to just blanket statement a lot of these things. Um, So I really enjoy listening to um, uh, podcasts about different stuff and that um, the weekly, uh, what was, what did they call it? The the, um, diversity and inclusion. Uh, They're doing this, summer it's like a weekly thing they send out i forget what that's called that they're doing but i don't know the hashtag is where sau w-e-a-r-s-a-u i don't know the week what the the term you're thinking of though is yeah i don't know i just know uh, yeah the be diverse or the summer summer of action against racism where sau yeah yeah um but I, I really appreciate like all those like resources uh, where I can listen or like watch a video. So I think that's, I mean, that's me personally, how I like to um, like kind of interact and learn about uh, these different things, um, especially recently, but I don't know. It's going to be tough uh, trying to, cause I think uh, having a group uh, discussion about all these issues is going is so powerful and so impactful Um but I, uh, in a world where groups are currently discouraged, I don't know how that's yeah. going to work. But um, yeah. definitely, there's just one. Idea. Uh, I, go ahead, Dr. Ella. Oh, I was worried. I was wondering about um, some sort of virtual justice project or letter writing or something. You know, um, and one of the things that I think 
that all of us Christians and at SAU too, that we have a growth edge on is um, we like, it's easy to do service, you know, yeah, like yeah. services, dropping off um, soup cans at a homeless shelter, doing coats for kids or, you know, raking leaves. And, but it's mm-hmm. harder to do justice, yeah. which justice means like working for social change, you know, yeah. and because, you have to take a stand and you have to, you know, it, it's much harder work. And, um, but I don't think this issue um, of racism, because it is a social issue, is going to change unless we do justice projects. So, yeah. you know, um, maybe we could, I'm willing to help with that too, some sort of partnering up together and do some letter writing or whatever we can do that's socially distant, you know, mm-hmm. um, to continue to think about. Yeah. I know we've been talking about, uh, we were originally in the spring going to do some kind of planning for Ambrosians for Peace and Justice and kind of, mm-hmm. um, and then of course everything got shut down on us, but we still want to do that. And I want, I mean, I certainly would hope that Ambrosians for Peace and Justice would be a, a big part of this. And that's something that I know comes up in their conversations a lot too, where we kind of talk about the, the two feet of, of social justice, one being yeah. yes, the direct service and all of that. And you're right, that's easy and comfortable in a way. And it's an easy way to kind of pat yourself on the back too, you know, and yeah, think, yeah, okay, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I've done my thing. And so, okay, check that box. Um, but it is much more uncomfortable, but in the long run, you know, even more necessary to do the hard work of, of you know, creating some change and, so and I and I know even within myself there's there's a resistance there sometimes because it gets me out of my comfort zone and so I've got to address that in myself. I was thinking about one of the um uh, 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 something that was shared in a class that I was taking recently and they were saying um basically and this is why I appreciate things like um our DEI's office putting out all these materials that you can kind of at your own pace at your own comfort level click on watch read etc but they were basically saying you have to, when it comes to especially a lot of these issues, you have to allow people to change their mind um, by themselves, kind of, on, you know, like be able to walk away from a presentation or a movie or a conversation or reading an article and really stew with it. And then that's when the change of heart and the change of mind can mm-hmm. come off. And, and so often we kind of want them to make that, that switch immediately in our presence. Mm-hmm. And then it almost becomes more about us than about them, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And so allowing that space to for them to kind of change their own heart or mind is important. But we have to put out the message, you know, for right. them to be able to to uh, digest that a little bit. So. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're getting close to the end of our time here, but great to have you on. Um, we didn't really get to too much in terms of pop culture. Anything out there that, like, this summer you have been uh, consuming in the way of television shows or good books or things that are healthy distractions from uh, everything going on in the world when you need a little break? (laughs) So I, um, when this pandemic started, we went, we closed down school. I started watching Grey's Anatomy season one, episode one. Okay. And I know that dates me because it's an old show, but I finished all 16 seasons, like 25 <laughs> episodes. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So lots after my daughter goes to bed, that was like my guilty pleasure at night. Yeah. But uh so I'm trying to find something new, but um I started watching Shits Creek. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just my husband I've I have I'm heard it. I've heard about it, but I've not watched it yet myself. But it sounds it so pretty good. funny. Oh. Yeah, my husband always calls it up shit's creek, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's 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 Canadian, so I've got to honor that side of me a little bit. There you so go. I might I, I might just, switch over to that. It's so good. I just we actually that's funny you say that because my sister and I just finished watching like all of the seasons, and. Now we're, like, really sad because they just came out with the last season. We watched all that. And so, like, we don't know what to do now. Like, because that's what we did, like, on our break and stuff because she's taking college classes. So now we don't know what to watch. So it's, like, the other day she was, like, oh, aren't you just so sad that, like, we're done watching Shit's Creek? I'm, like, I mean, we could watch it again. Like, I'm not opposed <laughs> not the same, though. <laughs> it's, not- it's so hard. I understand. <laughs> Yeah. There is no shortage of content out there. That is for sure right now. But uh, I got to pace myself. So, But I, I do the same thing. Like I'll watch an episode of something as a little kind of treat for myself at the end of the night, basically, you know, like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's where Anne with an E was coming in pretty strong for a while, but I really oh. haven't had anything that's totally replaced that yet. So, yeah. Well. I suppose I could read a book or something, you know. <laughs> no, did you all hear of? So I grew up uh, not really reading Anne of Green Gables, but more Laura Ingalls Wilder. Mm. And when I moved to Canada, um, I was like 24 or whatever. All of my friends that I met there, being Canadian, grew up with Anne of Green Gables and didn't yeah. know who Laura Ingalls Wilder was. Uh-huh. So it was a total reversal thing. So they introduced me to Anne of Green Gables, and uh-huh. I read it for the first time when I was 24 years old. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's how it reminds me of, of that, yeah. I have actually never read it, and I really should. And now that I've... I- you know, now that I've seen this show that's kind of based on the character, at least, I'll be like, well, that's not like the show. You know, it's... Yeah, it was kind of like when uh, when they were doing the Lord of the Rings movies several years ago now, I made sure that I had read the book before I watched those movies because I didn't want whatever imagery they gave me to be my imagery for those characters and those places. And I'm so glad I did that. But I'm, I'm afraid Anne of Green Gables is probably ruined for me now because of Anne with an E, because I'll always think of that actress and <laughs> that setting and all of those things. But, um, yeah, so there's... That that old that age old debate book or movie first, but I I'm probably more on the book side first myself. Yeah. yeah. I'm just relieved you all didn't ask me about Star Wars. Oh, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, huh? <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's, there's time to fix that. Um, I can I can set you up with a a, a program. Uh, what to start watching when and in what order. And you'll okay. you'll you'll okay. be um, you'll be an expert, yeah. Oh my! So. When I finish Shit's Creek, I'll I'll ask you. Okay. <laughs> good. Well, good to have you, have you on the show today with us, uh, Dr. Johnson, and we look forward to classes resuming and 
um, people back. And um, I actually was just telling someone today, I had my first, um, I guess, kind of nightmare about students and people being back just last night, as a matter of fact. It was kind of an anxiety oh, wow. dream. And it was down here in Lower Chapel. And it was packed full of people, students <laughs> and, and faculty, and no one was wearing masks. And I was like, people, what what are we doing? You know? <laughs> so I don't I think that's how it's actually going to roll out. So. Yeah, I had a similar one where there was in front of Rogo, and everybody was playing, like, flag football. And uh-huh. I'm like, what's going on? We're supposed to be social distancing. <laughs> that's because I, I have similar thoughts when I watch shows now. Like, I, when we were watching Schitt's Creek, they, they, there were scenes where, like, a bunch of people, they would be having a party. I'm like, well, that's not allowed. Like, why are they mm-hmm. doing that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this wasn't made, like, in 20, you know. So it's it's just kind of funny you have those thoughts. Um, yep. Everything will be pre-COVID, post-COVID. So. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for a great episode. And uh, Megan, we'll have you sign us off as you usually do, and we'll we'll hear from you next week, or you'll hear from us next week. (laughs) All right. May the faith be with you. And with your spirit.